Hi there, and welcome to Dork Wars, the podcast, your galactic hub for all things Star Wars. My name is Blake, and I'm here with two of the best hosts in the galaxy. Tonight, we have the ever-elusive Grant. Hello there. And the funny one, Wesley. I'm in the top two, baby. What's up, dorks? I mean, am I really elusive anymore? <laughs> well, you are here. Diedrich has missed two episodes in a row, which is Ooh. very uncharacteristic. Very uncharacteristic. Um, I can give him a bye, though. He's never missed episodes like this before. The dark um, side has this- stuck its fangs into him. <laughs> and this week, though, he's on vacation. So uh, I, can, uh, I can give him a little bit of a buy on that. What? Mm, we get vacations? You get vacations, part of the Empire? That's crazy. Dude, he took, he took two vacation days. Like, you didn't know we got vacation days? Grant's taking like three weeks vacation. As long as he's not getting paid. Wait, you're getting paid? We don't get paid. Does anyone <laughs> want to sponsor Dork Wars Podcast? Uh, anyways, so we're also missing our friend Andrew this evening. We have sent him on a special mission to Utapau to find out what those creepy tall creatures with the uh, funky looking teeth are doing. So tonight it is just going to be your friendly hosts, Grant, Wesley, and Blake manning this podcast. So let's get right into our Star Wars news, and we got a few things to talk about. Now hear this! Now hear this! Now hear this! Now you hear this, whoever you are. First off in our Star Wars news, we have Star Wars Visions. Um, Disney Plus just dropped their trailer this week, and I'm going to tell you what. I was impressed. I am an anime lover, and I think Star Wars Visions, though non-canon, is going to be a really, really cool series. I was unaware it was not going to be canon. That kind of changes a few things. Yeah, that's that's what I've read. That's what I've seen so far, that it's not going to be canon. And I don't I, know if that follows I think if, Disney's formula, though. Like Disney likes everything to make sense and correlate and be part of the canon. I don't understand yeah, why but, even release stuff then if it's not going to be canon. Like I don't, I don't understand. Well, I mean, we all love Legends. Legends isn't canon anymore, but we still love to read it. We still love to uh, watch the material. But uh, it was all pre-Disney. Everything Disney, think about Marvel, think about, you know, Star Wars up to this point. Everything they've put out has been canon in, the, in their respective universe. That's true, but even some of the stuff that I saw in the trailer, while amazing and awesome and cool... Just seems even a little too out there for the canon Star Wars universe. Like, you had that funky uh, a lightsaber, umbrella, rotating blade thing. Did you see that? They in, did in that the in Rebels. What? With, like, a billion lightsabers on the umbrella thing? Okay, well, you, if it's twisting like that, it's like an optical illusion. Think about the Inquisitors. They flew with theirs with only two blades, and it was going by, and it looked like there was more than two. That's true, but, like, he, he you see it before it starts out. And it's got like, gosh, it's got like ten or fifteen blades on it. Yeah, but I mean, if you think back, it's to, a, it's uh, a, it's a typical it's a typical anime weapon. I'm gonna tell you, it's a typical anime weapon. I mean, you're which not are wrong. Kind of like freaky looking. You're not wrong, but uh, regardless of that, I, I think it's going to be a fantastic journey, and I it's a nice change of pace. I think, and I will gladly accept it. At, like Blake, I'm a huge anime fan, and honestly. Depending on how Visions goes, we may need to do a sub-podcast about anime, Blake, because that would be cool. 
That would be cool. Uh, Dork Wars, the anime podcast. I mean, we've already got Dork Wars, the Dragon Ball podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Dork Wars, the I, anime. Um, no, Dork I, Wars, the anime podcast. I haven't seen the Visions trailer yet, so is it like a Samurai Jack um, anime, or is it more like, you know, like, I don't know. Oh, like, dude. Dra- no. It is a straight Japanese, like, textbook anime. Ooh. Uh, Thank Kimietsu no Kayaba. Demon yeah, Slayer. Yeah, I think that one. I don't. Okay. Demon Slayer. All right. Grant's coming up talking straight Japanese or Jawa or whatever. Um, <laughs> but yes, it's it is like it's totally anime. Like it's it's very it's heavy anime. It's not like so Dragon Ball Z is like when I was a kid and Dragon Ball Z first first came out, it was marketed as a cartoon. It was not marketed as anime in the United States. Mm-hmm. Later on, we found out it was anime. Right. But this isn't like even Dragon Ball Z. Like, this is like hardcore anime, and I'm here for it. I think it's I think it's awesome. It looks amazing. And we see Boba Fett in this trailer. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Even oh, if cool. it's not canon, still cool. Yeah, th- that, that was my big thing. One of the questions I had after seeing the trailer was like, when does this take place? Because it, it looks like it's more than one story. It looks like it's going to be a ton of story arcs that are like into a season is what my understanding based on that trailer was. But, you know, we see Boba Fett. We see stormtroopers from the Empire. We see all types of different things that I was just like, okay, when is this happening? Is it a bunch of side stories or a bunch of small stories happening all around and it jumps around and it's all during the same time? Or is it going to be like, a core of episodes about this character, a core is about a different character type of thing. That's awesome. Yeah, it sounds like Star Wars is being presented in a different way that has never been done before, so I- I'm excited for that. Yeah, this is a way to reach out to other fans, and Star Wars is heavily influenced by uh, old Japanese samurai movies and things like that, and this is just the next step of that. And it also kind of reaches out to those who might not be into the typical Star Wars or even the typical cartoon formula. So they're, they're trying to get different audiences. I think one thing about it not being canon that's good is that you can put it anywhere. You kind of have no limits on what you can do with the story. You have no limits of the weaponry of, well, what are, what are people going to think of this? Like, no one cares because it's not canon. So you can almost do anything. All bets are off. This is the cool thing about this show. Yeah, and it excites me. Um, the big thing in, in the beginning of the trailer and we see is the lightsaber that's being passed down in their village for oh so long, or the kyber crystal that's being passed down in their village as we saw it in possibly a different clip. Um, it, it was something that uh, I enjoyed and am really excited about. Yeah, it's it's basic Jedi and Star Wars lore, but it's presented in a way that it is also a Japanese anime. I really don't have the words to express how excited I am to see this. And we threw this out on our Facebook page this week, and it was pretty much 50-50. We have, like, half the people saying, oh, my God, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait to see it. And then the other half are like, nah, don't want it. Trash. So, I don't know. I think half of us want to see it. The other half are just kind of stuck in their ways. And if they give it a chance, maybe they'll like it. I get it. I get it. I mean, anime is not for everyone. I get that. But I I definitely appreciate it. While it doesn't... Well, it definitely has the animation style for it. I, I don't know exactly if it's going to be as much of an anime as some people are expecting it to be. I, I would love for it to be, but I don't expect it to exactly be very anime-heavy themed and uh, stylized. I don't know, man. Disney does things 100%. So I, 
I'm actually all in on it being 100% like an anime. Um, I, I don't know if... You know that means plot armor for the main character, right? Well, I mean, that's Star Wars in general, too. Well, I mean, Luke died. Yeah, that's... Nah, let's not let's not even get into that. <laughs> we that's 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 a whole podcast itself. Fair enough. So moving on from Star Wars Visions, as great as that's gonna be, let's talk about Boba Fett's Starship. Um I don't know if you guys have heard yet, but uh Boba Fett's Starship has been renamed. We had a pretty pretty big scare a couple months ago when we saw a Lego figure set come out with uh Boba Fett's ship on it instead of Slave One, which some people tried to say, well, that's, that doesn't mean that the name's changing. Other other characters have had that happen to their ships, and I wanted to believe that that's what was going on, but it seems that Boba Fett's ship has been renamed the Fire Spray. Interesting name, I guess. I guess. It, uh, it's still Slave One. Yeah, I, I agree. I think to any any hardcore fan that is still going to be Slave 1. Well, so in a press release, it was revealed that Paolo Villa Annelli's, I, I hope I'm saying that right, Paolo Villa Annelli's uh, Bounty Hunter Ship Blueprint variant covers for the ongoing War of the Bounty Hunters comic event has revealed Boba Fett's ship's name as the Fire Spray. Um, it's kind of a cool name. I'm I'm not dissing the name, but why why change Slave One? We didn't have this conversation back when it happened. We were actually on a hiatus at the time when when all the original like uh, Boba Fett ship name Rumors drama began, was going yeah. on. Yeah, and I, I didn't want to take stock in it, man. Like I, I I wanted to really believe that it was Lego just trying to market to kids or everybody, but it seems that they're actually changing the name of Slave One. I will say, if they decide in the show, in uh, the Book of Boba Fett, to address this and say, hey, you know, I'm changing the name of my ship, that's one thing. But if they just mm-hmm. don't, if they don't address it at all and just, like, start calling it that instead, that's a whole other thing and issue. And I, I would much rather them address, address the issue than not address it. I mean, he's a bounty hunter. He carbon freezes bounties. He, you know, he takes prisoners. I, I, there's some merit to the name. So, yeah, I mean, we know that slavery exists in the Star Wars universe. I mean, it happens in The Phantom Menace. It, it's happening all throughout the prequels. Definitely in the Empire times. Like, you, you think, I mean, things did not get better when the Empire took over. So there's definitely saved slavery somewhere. I mean, look at the Wookiees. The Wookiees yeah. were pretty much a slave race to the Empire. Not pretty much they were, at least in the old canon. I'm not sure if that stands in the new canon. Right, that... That's that's up in the air. I'm sure we'll find out at some point about all that. But we we know it exists. Even in the sequel trilogy, you got those kids on Canto Bike. I mean, you think they're there because they want to be? No, those kids are slaves. Um, so I, I don't really see where the uh, where the problem is. I I get that you want to be culturally aware, or you know whatever, and. That's that's a talk that, that we try not to get into on this podcast. Yeah, we want yeah. it to be entertaining and not so political. But changing the name of Slave One just seems a, a little too far for a universe that we know condones slavery. And Boba Fett's not exactly 
the, the, the best guy in the universe. That's true, but like I said, it, it could be something to deal with the Book of Oliphat. We don't know yet. We won't find out until it releases late at the end of this year. And like I said, if they address it there, then I have no problem with the change. Yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot of bad themes in Star Wars, like between like drug trafficking and, you know, slaves, and then also like children being slaughtered and all kinds of different things, bad themes. So if we're going to start, you know, censoring these things then i don't it it just kind of takes away from the whole star wars universe but i'll leave it at that well yeah i mean who's the bad guy if you if if you don't have slavery if you don't have murder if you don't have bad things happening and people who condone that then then who are the bad guys i mean it's kind of boring to read about a universe where there's good guys versus other goodish guys you know I, i i just don't see the appeal here and, I mean, they may introduce it to where uh, groups such as the Black Sun or, you know, different crime syndicates uh, are the ones that are in for doing that. And they're going to use those groups as the main antagonist going forward rather than a uh, national entity such as an empire. Well, we'll see what happens with the name of Boba Fett's ship. Is it Slave One? Is it Fire Spray? I have a feeling that we're going to find out when Book of Boba Fett um, premieres this December. So moving on, I'm going to shout out a podcast uh, this episode from our Red 5 network. We are part of the Red 5 family, and it has been an awesome ride so far. Great camaraderie, great hosts of other podcasts, and these other podcasts have some great content, great hosts. We hope you check them out, but we want to shout out the Sidebar Cantina. They actually shared our podcast today on their Instagram page and their Twitter page. And it's just pretty cool to have other podcasts that we can be together with and we can have fun with, talk with, and really help support each other. So shout out to Sidebar Cantina. Go check them out. They're on Spotify, Apple Music, all those other places that you like to listen to them. Go check out their Twitter page. Go check out their Facebook page. All that good stuff. Um, Just check out Sidebar Cantina because it's cool and it's Star Wars. Appreciate you. You're the real MVP. And I even saw uh, in our chat, we have a whole Red 5 chat in uh, on Twitter. And they like our Grandmaster Yoda Word of the Week segment. And I'm, I'm pretty happy about that because Yoda is pretty cool. Yes, cool I am. <laughs> uh, Master Yoda, hey, hey, hey man, get, get, get back in the annex until we need you at the end of the show, okay? Wait your turn. <clears throat> Silenced. I cannot be. All right, Master. Just uh, go, 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 chill out for a little bit. Uh, we'll we'll call on you a little bit. Okay. Uh, that was kind of creepy. I didn't see. I, I always know Master Yoda's listening in, but it's it's always kind of creepy when he just uh, inserts himself like that. <laughs> so before we get into our main topic for the evening, and I haven't announced what that's going to be yet, but if you've read the episode title, you will probably guess. Um, we're going to get into a what I like to call a subtopic. And I want to know what you guys think about this. Um, what do you think about Uncle Owen trying to keep Luke from the Imperial Academy? So we we realize at the beginning of A New Hope, when Luke's talking about going to the Academy, it's got to be an Imperial Academy, right? Yeah, I, I would think so. Certainly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all but implied. I mean, there's obviously not a Rebel Academy. He's going to be an Imperial pilot if he goes to this academy. So it stands to reason that maybe Uncle Owen is keeping him at the farm 
because he doesn't want Luke to be an Imperial pilot. Well, that's an interesting take. Yes, it is. And and I, I will tell you, I I actually came up with this by myself while listening to um, some other stuff about Uncle Owen and Luke and uh, watching A New Hope again and this, that, and the other. Like, it, it just kind of came to me, like, Uncle Owen knows that the Empire is bad. Uncle Owen knows who Obi-Wan is. He kind of knows what's going on with the whole universe situation, I guess. He's he's not fully in on it, but he he kind of knows what's going on. So he, I don't think he wants Luke being a part of the Empire. Yeah, I mean, what you just said right there uh, kind of made me think. How much does Uncle Owen know about, you know, the fall of the Republic and the rise of the Empire? What did Obi-Wan tell him? Well... Obi-Wan just hands the baby off and kind of meanders off at the end of Revenge of the Sith. That's all we see, but we know Luke knows uh, knows Obi-Wan, so obviously he's been around and has obviously had to have said something to him, because otherwise, you know, why didn't Uncle Owen report Obi-Wan to the Empire and say, hey, here's a Jedi here? Mm-hmm. That's true. That's yeah. true. And, you know, Luke doesn't... He's an innocent little boy, like, farm boy. He doesn't know he's Force-sensitive and the greater picture... But also an underrated influence to him was his buddy Biggs Darklighter. You know, both of them were little pilots on pilot friends on Tatooine, and they both had dreams of, you know, leaving the planet and exploring the galaxy. So uh, that, that was an influence to him as well. If I'm not mistaken, doesn't Luke kind of call out Biggs at the beginning of A New Hope when he's talking to Uncle Owen? He's like, well, Biggs has moved on already. Why can't I move on? So why is it that Biggs moved on and found the Rebel Alliance and Luke has to go to the Academy? I, I've always wondered what the story is there because well, it's. I figured that Biggs went to the Imperial Academy, but somehow he found his way to the Rebels. Yeah, um, and that makes me think of the uh, in the actual Rebel series where we see Wedge actually um, is at the Imperial Academy and ends up leaving when uh, Sabine goes undercover there and is like, hey, by the way, uh, the Empire is trying to, like, kill you and do terrible things, and then he ends up defecting. So I'm guessing uh, that was a common occurrence for the Rebel Alliance sending in spies and recruiting pilots that are trained uh, as Imperials. That is a good possibility as well. I'd be interested in seeing some kind of... Uh maybe a mini series, a comic series on Biggs Darklighter. I think that would be a pretty cool series. Yep. And maybe something else that, uh, a reason that Uncle Owen kept Luke from the uh, Imperial Academy is if we think back to another Rebels episode in the miniseries, during season one actually, uh, we see Ezra Bridger go to an Imperial Academy and in that he gets tagged as Force Sensitive and the Inquisitor comes is like, hey, um, I'm going to take you with me. And then as far as we know, he kind of kills all those forces of children or, you know, forms them into other Inquisitors. An Inquisitor. Yeah. Right. So um, if Uncle Owen knows that, you know, Luke's force sensitive, which he more than likely does based on probably Obi-Wan's like, yeah, by the way, this kid, he, he can touch the force or something like that. You know, you get the idea. Yeah. I, it's hard to say. And I had this thought and I really think Uncle Owen was a voice of reason for Luke. I really think that he was trying to keep him at home and try to keep him where he would be safe. I think it was in the best interest of Luke. And I think Uncle Owen really, really was looking out for him. Like, I, I guess we're kind of led to believe in A New Hope that he was kind of this 
um, stingy old man who didn't want Luke to have fun or to go off and be his own person. Well, I mean, when you're living under tyranny, it's hard. Hard to say, hey, just go out and have fun. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the galaxy's a big place, and I guess the Empire kind of has its its hold in certain places and not a hold in other places, I guess. I don't know. I, I guess you can have fun in the Empire era of Star Wars. I, I don't know. We don't see a lot of that. But as you grow up, you, you kind of... You kind of sympathize with Uncle Owen. Like, you want to keep your kid at home and keep him safe, right? Yeah. I'm looking forward to the the Kenobi series to kind of see what, you know, uh, Owen Lars. Oh, yeah, that's the name of right? Owen Lars. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that is uh, Owen Lars. Yeah, I'm looking forward to o- seeing Owen Lars' role and his relationship with Luke. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see uh, see if that's we see anything between Owen and Luke and maybe Owen and Obi-Wan. Um, and kind of figure out what Owen knows. And I think that's an integral part of the, the, this theory that we're kind of talking about here is what does he know and everything. So if he knows the things that we spoke about, then uh, it kind of makes a whole lot of sense why he was trying to keep Luke away. So let's stay tuned for the Kenobi series. It seems like we're going to find out if Uncle Owen and Obi-Wan have any more correspondence, if Luke and Obi-Wan have any correspondence, I really can't wait to see what happens. Um, like I said, man, I kind of identify with Uncle Owen a little bit now. And uh, let's let's just see where it goes. So tonight, for our main topic, we're going to be talking about the High Republic series book, Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. Centuries before the rise of the Empire, prosperity, pioneering, and adventure marked the era of the High Republic. So we're talking about Light of the Jedi. It is the first book in the High Republic era series of books. Um, It is, of course, canon now. It was written under the Disney era. Charles Soule did a great job with this entry. And what do we think about this book, guys, in general? Let's let's not get into any, like, specifics yet. But what is your overall rating of the book? Let's start with you, Grant. All right, for uh, for reference, I read this book when it originally came out, you know, seven months ago. So my memory well, I is not... I started it seven months ago, so... <laughs> my, my memory of the entire... I, I finished it shortly after it came out, so my memory of this is probably not going to be spectacular. But overall, I think it was a, a different take on Star Wars, which is what it was supposed to be. And, uh, you know, not having uh, really focusing on fighting itself, more so uh, a, a giant problem to deal with. Which is something that I found interesting and something that I actually enjoyed a whole lot more than I thought I would. And um, overall, I would probably say, I'll, I'll rate it probably a 7 out of 10. There's a few things that I think could have been a lot better. And uh, there are some things that I wish would have been fleshed out a little bit more. But I haven't read any of the other books yet, so it may have been done there. Uh, I actually plan now to go and pick up the second book, uh, which is going to actually be the young adult novel i think is what the next one that i'm going to read um and go from there all right so wesley what is your general review or general rating of a light of the jedi it's a little different than grant's take um i had quite a hard time finishing the book it took me a long time because you know it was a lot to process a lot to take in they I feel like they introduced a lot of new characters to you up front 
and didn't really flesh a lot of the characters out. In fact, I don't I, I don't even know who the main character is of the book. Um, so with that, it was pretty challenging to remember who is who and what's their backstory. Um, and you know, reading the synopsis of the book, like on the on the you know, the back paragraph of the book, it, I thought it was gonna be more about the Starlight Beacon and you know a symbol of hope. I'm like, okay, that seems pretty cool. I want to see what this is in the Outer Rim. But you read the book, and it's not really about the Starlight Beacon at all. So that's gonna come later in the series. Um, but I will say the book had its moments. It had some really cool events take place, and um, and it was different. It, it was stuff we've never seen in the Star Wars universe before. So uh, I, I appreciate the new perspective of of these things by Charles Soul Soul. And yeah, th- that's my brief opinion of the book. What would you rate it out of then? Just curious. It's it's not in my top um list at all. I'd probably give it like a five out of ten. I think that brings us to uh my general rating of the book. I actually liked Light of the Jedi a lot. It was a good book. However, the first third of the book was extremely hard for me to get through. Um, I think it started out with a bang. The first like two or three chapters, you're you're learning about this uh, anomaly that's coming through the star system and destroying moons and planets and all sorts of stuff, and it's it's exciting. And then it just happens for another fourteen chapters, right? <laughs> like it just seems like it goes on forever. The first part of the book, the great disaster. And sorry if I hadn't said it before, this is a uh, crazy spoiler episode. Like, there's a lot of spoilers going to go on. If you have not (laughs) read this book, I would consider not listening anymore and going and reading that book and coming listening. Because we're going to spoil the crap out of this book. Um, But the first, like, third of the book, you're talking about the the great crisis, the Hetzel problem that's happening. And we, we find out later exactly what happens. But you have this mysterious object coming through and destroying all these planets and moons and it just keeps happening and we see the response to this from the Jedi and from the Republic and they're working together and it's pretty cool but it was very hard to get through. After that first third of the book when we introduce the Nihil and when we start talking about uh, what the Republic does to solve the crisis, what was going on after the crisis, the after effects and all that. I think that was awesome. That was like 10 out of 10 awesome. The The last two thirds of the book were great. But that first third really brought it down for me. And that's what took me so long to finish it. I actually finished it probably about a month ago, a month and a half ago. Because that first third of the book just bogged me down I'd start reading it and I'd fall asleep and it was just like more of the same more of the same so in all first third of the book was okay but it was hard to get through the last two thirds of the book were amazing to me so I'm going to give this book uh, a 7 out of 10 just like Grant I'll give it the same because of that first part because of, like I said the last two thirds 10 out of 10 first third Probably like a four out of ten. It was it, it was hard. It was hard. It's, see, I was a little different. I liked the first third and the the last third. It just that middle third was very uh, very hard for me to to get through. 
Okay, okay. Well, I can see that. I mean, it, it really gets diplomatic there in the middle. And I guess some people are geared more towards that story behind the story. Like, what's happening in the politics of the of the, uh, of the the universe, the, the world building? What's happening with that? Mm-hmm. And some people just want the action. Like, I can understand. So I think this book caters to everyone, but just in different parts. It's not all at the same time. You just get it in different parts. Yeah, I, I agree, and uh, I, I didn't get into specifics about some of the stuff that I didn't like, and I guess we can go ahead and start talking a little bit more specifically now that we've given our... We can a little bit. Overview. We can a little bit. Um, did, 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 do you want to talk about Yoda first? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saving Yoda till like, the end when he actually shows up. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I actually want to talk about the uh, the first third right now um, and kind of go through that. I guess we can talk about in a third, like, each third section since we've said there's three main sections which there is pretty much so my first question actually on my notes is the great disaster the Mm -hmm. hetzel crisis how does it affect you as a reader and how does it affect the story as a whole and the galaxy actually how does it affect the galaxy well at the first off um you know going into it and thinking about it me as a reader uh it kind of gets me in a mindset of what the galaxy is like right now um during this time period we find out the Jedi are work are you know do are more independent from the Republic than we see in the prequels movies. Um, it, it's something that we're not used to. It's something that we don't see very often, and it it was a nice change of pace for me. Also, uh, seeing the first few chapters, I think it's the first you know three to like six chapters. Um, we, we get a different character each time, and we start with them, and we're like, okay, is this the main character of this book? Right. And then they dead. die. <laughs> but by the end of the chapter, they are dead. And uh, that really caught me off guard. Uh, yeah. Like, that really threw me off uh, to start a new a, a new era. And, you know, just instantly, let's let's just kill off, like, six people in a row because, eh. Grant, I think that's why it took me a little bit to get into it, you know? You got this character, and they end up dying. Or you got this character, and... There, you introduce like Avar Chris, and she's supposed to be this amazing Jedi Master, and she is. I, I, I don't disagree with that. But the end of the chapter where she's introduced is just kind of like, ah, she's okay. I <laughs> well, guess. Well, you, you skip then, forward on me a little bit there because, like, I, what I was going to go to next is what it, what I got out of those first few chapters, uh, seeing that over and over again was that, or what I understood from this book is that the main character of this book is not going to be a, a, an actual character that we see the main character of this book is the force itself or the galaxy or the or the jedi really i guess the galaxy no nah, no nah, i would say the galaxy because we one of the characters that are or, yeah actually two of the characters that survive that we actually read through and see through their eyes aren't jedi they aren't they're not part of the jedi right. they interact with them during this book one of them's not even part of the Republic. Um, but, I mean, it makes me think the galaxy itself is the main character and not a, a specific character. So this kind of storytelling where we have a bunch of different characters all kind of doing their own thing, it really brings me back into the mind of the EU. Um, mm-hmm. Legends now, when you read those books, there's not really a main character. You're talking about Luke. You're talking about Leia. You're talking about Han. You're talking about Anakin. You're talking about Jason. You're talking about Jaina. You're talking about Chewbacca. You're talking about uh, Kyle Katarn. You're talking about uh, Ben. All these other characters, bit 
well, I think I already said, well, maybe not. I hadn't talked about Ben Solo yet. Or, excuse me. No. Ah, that's the sequels. No. <laughs> ben Skywalker. Gosh, that's, you're going to hate me now, Star Wars community. Ben Skywalker. He's not Ben Solo. They're different. Promise. Skywalker's um, better. All these. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But we can get into that, to that another time. You got Ten Ka. You have uh, all these other amazing characters in the EU. And when you read an EU book, uh, you, you got all different characters. You're talking about everybody in the galaxy at that time. You're talking about a whole story. You're not talking about one specific character. Like uh, when you read books like Harry Potter, it's about Harry Potter. When you're reading books, um, what's sort of the good book series? When you're reading um, The Percy Hunger Jackson. Games, it's about The Hunger Katniss. Games. It's about Katniss. Yeah, uh, straight up. Uh, the Percy Jackson books are about, obviously, Percy Jackson. Most stories follow one character. There's one main character, one storyline, and everything revolves around them. That's not what happens in Star Wars books. I mean, that's, that's just not what happens. I don't think any Star Wars book follows one character by themselves throughout the whole novel. Yeah, and it's something that makes the Star Wars books very un- very unique and something that I really enjoy reading. Um, but like I was saying, the galaxy is the main character here. You know what else? Uh, you know, uh, some uh, another form of media that does something where there isn't a specific character that the main character, but it's like an entity, like uh, a landmass or something like that. Enlighten us, Grant. Fortnite. I know it's a weird oh, comparison God. to make. It's completely what? weird. But the main character of Fortnite, if you think about it, is the island because it keeps changing. The characters That's can true. die and they go in a loop, but the island stays the same until it's changed and it's the main character and things that happen affect the island. It's And it's that way with this book. Things that happen, you know, characters can die, characters can live, characters can win, characters can be good, they can be bad. However, it all affects the galaxy. The galaxy is the main character of this book. Jeez, welcome to Dork Fort, the podcast. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Wesley, what's your take on the Great Disaster? How did it affect you as a reader? I I think it was probably one of the most unique ways Star Wars has ever started one of their medias before. Uh, I was immediately captivated by it, and and you know. I, I flew through the first three chapters because I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you think the book is about this captain of this starship. What's the name of it? Um, the Legacy Run, right? Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that was, and it gives you all this background and how, you know, how many honors she has through her career and everything. And next thing you know, boom, she's dead. <laughs> you're, like, you're like what what anyways i started blasting and she's yeah. dead <laughs> danny devito makes it two weeks in a row yeah that's right. so as you can tell the name great disaster it it kind of uh it, it start, sort of describes this event of the the start the legacy run exploding and and the Jedi get involved and sort of investigate what's going on why did this happen who's responsible and there's a whole crisis happening because of this because the shards of this legacy run are flying out all over space and hyperspace hyperspace excuse me yeah and destroying moons destroying planets killing people and it it's a yeah the galaxy has it's a handful right now yeah man it it really sets up really the entire first act here in in the high republic 
because we ask our question, well, what caused this? And we don't get that answer until much later in this book. That's correct. And obviously, as a novel does, it reveals things as it goes and it becomes interesting. But I can say that the first third of this book, while slow, really sets up just this amazing universe. After reading the last two thirds of the book, I realized that the first third of the book was really interesting. Like there was a lot going on. Like the Jedi are saving people. They're trying to help everybody out in the Hetzel system. We found out that uh, Bacta is a new drug in in that time period. Mm-hmm. So about two hundred years before the Phantom Menace, Bacta is just being harvested and uh, considered this miracle drug that will heal all these people. Um, that's important. I mean, that's I don't think we've seen the importance of that quite yet, but that's important. Hetzel is the the system or even the planet Hetzel Prime is the planet where Bacta is being harvested and made into what yeah. it is in the Star Wars universe. Um but after reading the the last two thirds of the book, the first third seems a lot more interesting, but while you're in that first third it is so slow. But I think it's a great thing to see the Jedi in their golden age. Like I said before, it's about 200 years before the prequel trilogy. So we see the Jedi helping people. They're more separated from the Republic than they are in the prequel trilogy, which is a good thing, right? They're kind of their own thing. They're doing what they think is right, not necessarily what the Republic think is right. Excuse me. Not necessarily what the Republic thinks is right. But they work together. They collaborate. They do a great job. And I, I think that's the the real merit of the first third of the book is seeing the Jedi act in the way the Jedi should. Yeah, uh, that was something that was amazing and really, really great to see. And, but for me, the biggest thing in this first third isn't the great disaster that sets up, you know, the and ultimately the intersection with the Nihil or the Nil. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. I right. read it as the Nil in my I'm, head. I'm thinking Nihil. I actually had the audio book and it is pronounced the Nihil. Yeah. Okay, good so to know. So I read online, yeah, the audio pronounces Nihil, but then like the internet says it's Nile. So I, I don't know. I think interchangeably, yeah. it's but fine. It isn't that. It, for, for me, the big thing is how the force is interpreted. And we learn from Avar Chris, which my new favorite Jedi, period, I think, honestly. Um, really? We're going to have some differentiation on that, but okay. <laughs> well, I think she's my favorite because the way she interprets the Force, it's, it's completely mm-hmm. different than anything we've ever seen before. Everyone else is like, well, the Force funny. is this mystical object. It's, it's yeah. you know, this living thing. And we see that it's actually interpreted very differently by each person. We actually see it through Avar Chris's eyes. We see it through uh, other Jedi's eyes. For Elzar Man. Elzar Man, yeah. Storm. For her, for Avar Chris, it's music. She can hear a symphony playing. She can hear, you know, what's coming next. She can hear the beat. She can hear the note. And all three of us being musicians, we understand what that means. You know, when you're playing a song... There's a pattern to it, and you can anticipate what's going to happen. I tell you what, I didn't think about this before, Grant, but we could really start Dork Wars, the rock band. (laughs) (laughs) Rebranding the band, okay. We've all been a part of a band together at some point, whether it was my band or whatever. Even Andrew and Diedrich, we've all been a part of the same band at some point. I didn't think about that till now, but it's great that uh, Avar Chris 
interprets the Force this way, and it was a unique take on the Force. And I like how she goes, or not, well, she doesn't go into it, but the narrator of this book goes into how Avar Chris interprets the Force, how Elzar Mann interprets the Force, how Loden Greatstorm interprets the Force, how everybody who's a Jedi Master who kind of has experience interprets the Force. And it's something we hadn't seen before. Everybody looks at it different. Even though they're all serving the same Force, they look at it differently. Yeah, and there's one other one that's not a Jedi Master, so we, we can definitely see, but they do mention that he has a fantastic um, uh, a fantastic connection with the Force, and uh, I'm blanking on his name, but it's the Wookiee that we meet early on and, and survives. Oh, yeah. Um, is it is um, that Serge Uk- Ukarian? I can't, I can't remember his name, uh, which one it is. I'm looking at it, trying to figure it out. That's not it. Um, oh, it's... Buryaga Agaberi. Agaberi. Yes. Yeah, that's him. Buryaga. Buryaga Agaberi. Um, yeah, his interpretation of the Force was a giant tree that we found on, that's seen on Kashyyyk. You know, it's so unique and it's so personal and it really adds to the idea of the Force and really makes it like, oh, so based on your personality, you can see it a different way. Some people might see it as music. Some people might see it as a great ocean as we see. Some people might see it as a great storm. Some see it as a tree. There's no one way to see and interpret the Force, and it's a very nice change and something that I really enjoyed reading. That was definitely one thing. Yeah, yeah, same thing, Blake. I, is, I definitely appreciated how the author portrayed the Force in this book and just showed the different context of how people interpret it, their different perspectives. You know, like you said, like uh, some interpret it as a waves of an ocean or a song or a tree or just all kinds of different ways. So that was that was different. Yeah, so this is the golden age of the Jedi. Obviously, they are the most powerful force in the universe. We even see that the uh, troops for the Republic, the the captains and stuff, there's no Grand Army of the Republic. This is obviously before the prequel trilogy. They have all of these kind of reserve forces. There There isn't, like, one really big army, um, which, of course, has its drawbacks, but also has its positives, I guess. Yeah, they're more like but malicious. they are... Yeah, right. And they are enamored with the Jedi. They think the Jedi are the coolest thing. They're like, we don't understand what they do or how they do it, but they get things done. The Jedi are the force in the universe that makes everything okay. They are the light of the universe. Hence the the title, Light of the Jedi. I think it says it all. We find out, especially in the first third of the book, how the Jedi influence this galaxy. How the Jedi go around doing good deeds just because they're the right thing to do and this is what happens when you talk about the Jedi before Emperor Palpatine, before the dark side starts creeping in and diminishing their power, this is the High Republic, this is the golden age of the Jedi and I I can't stress enough how great it is to see the Jedi Order in its its splendor, in its full greatness, Uh, I'm enjoying it the only thing I have uh, that is a real question of it is I want to know how Yoda interprets the Force during this time period. <laughs> Don't get me started on Yoda in this book. <laughs> oh well, no, my no, gosh. no. I'm uh, not taking all that out. Just how does Yoda interpret the Force? Because we know in episode, or in the prequel trilogy, he's like, you know, our, our connection to the Force has been like cut off. So for him, what does that mean? Is it... Does he interpret the force as a swamp? Because we see him in Dagobah. Mm. And so it's like, I don't see a swamp anymore. It's more like, you know, something 
else, you know, and he has to learn to interpret it a different way, and that's why he's, like, cut off. It's almost like these generations interpret the Force differently, you know, like, here in this era that we're reading about is, like, the Force is everywhere, it consumes everything, and they people submit to it and just use it how, you know, how the Force wants them to, wants to, to use them. Whereas in the prequel era, it's, it doesn't seem that way. It seems like the people tap into the Force when they want to. Um, so it just seems a different uh, ideology, in my opinion. I, I'm really excited to see more of Yoda in this time period. Because we know how he is in the prequels. He's not a bad Jedi. He's not... He, he's still a great master. He is still a great Jedi. I think he fights for the side of the light. But he is obviously duped by the dark side. And Palpatine. Uh, he even admits it, really, in, in uh, Clone Wars Season 6. We see that he realizes that the Jedi have been misled for a long, long time. Um, pretty much since the Phantom Menace, and maybe a little bit before then. But I'm, I'm interested to see how Yoda operates in this time period as well. Because Yoda... Dude, Yoda's awesome. <laughs> like... Yoda is the Jedi of all Jedi. You, you talk about the greatest teacher, the greatest master the Jedi have ever had, oh. and who do you think of? Master Yoda. Yeah, and, he's not a teacher. He was teaching kids for apparently 200 years. Am I lost? Yeah, he, he wanted to be the one that gave the initial training to the young one. He wanted to be the one that influenced them from the time they came uh -huh. into the Jedi Temple. And I think that speaks volumes of Master Yoda. Like he, he really wanted to impart that love for the Force, the the willingness to follow the Force. And even in Attack of the Clones, we see he's teaching younglings, and he's talking about how the mind of the child is great because it it doesn't see all the diversions and all of the all of the mess that we see as like adult people, right? We got all this gray area in our mind, but the kids see they see black and white, they see good and evil, and they're able to discern the truth where older people sometimes can't. And I think that's the strength of Yoda. Like, he's an amazing teacher. Um, obviously, he's an amazing force user, an amazing combatant. I mean, Yoda's got it all. So, to see what happens to Yoda from now until the prequel trilogy is going to be a fun ride. I, I felt like in this book just name dropping Yoda the way they did and he really didn't have any impact on the story whatsoever was kind of a lame move um, you know it, it, it really seemed like, like I felt Master Yoda used the force the same time I did you know it's like really that's kind of <laughs> cheesy and yeah. the only time he yeah the only time he really had an appearance was at the end and it was kind of inconsequential so it really felt like the author was really forcing that upon us. Like, oh, you know who this is. And I don't know. I didn't like that at all. Yeah, but you also got to think, think that there's other... There, I think there's a comic series or it may be a, a uh, another book that's, you know, going through what Yoda's doing during the same time period that this is all happening. And so, I mean, if you yeah. tried to... We already complained about, you know, one of your complaints is it tries to introduce so many characters all at once. And if we add, well, let's add a young Yoda, that's all people are going to want. That's why he gets his own book, because that's all people want. If you mention Yoda, that's all you expect. All I know is I just, I just hope Yoda develops a close friendship with the uh, Wookiee Jedi. Oh, poor Yaga. 
such, yeah. a, such a great <laughs> Wookiee Jedi. I, I think that Master Yoda was kept off the table a little bit because we know Master Yoda. We know what he becomes. So when you talk about Master Yoda's past, you kind of know the uh, the trajectory. You, you know he becomes a great, a great grandmaster. I guess he's a grandmaster at this point. They don't actually say that he's a grandmaster, do they? They do in the book. They say he is a grandmaster, one of the grandmasters, and he's actually the youngest of the three grandmasters currently. Dang, Master Yoda, looking young for the first time ever. Young spring uh, chicken <laughs> at 700 years old. Hmm, good times they were. <laughs> Oh, Master Yoda, hey, we'll, we'll get to you in the word of the week. I promise, I promise. Okay, restless, I am kidding. All right, Master Yoda, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. But, um, yes, I think keeping Master Yoda off the table is a good thing for this series. Like I said, I mean, people want to see Master Yoda. So you're not as interested in these other characters. And we know where he goes, so it's kind of a wasted plot line if you think about it. Yeah. I mean, there's only a great disaster occurring, but he's on sabbatical. And the book had to explicitly say that, so I thought that was kind of forced, but... Right. Just a little bit. But let's talk about the Nihil. We oh. are introduced to the... Excuse me. We are introduced to the Nihil right after the first third of this book. This is kind of like an intermission, really, is when we're introduced to them, and they pop up on this group of miners, and they torture them, and all this other stuff. But we eventually find out that the Nihil are the group of people that are trying to oppress the galaxy. The, this is the group that is trying to have the most success. Like, they're they're a crime group. They're the most successful crime group. And they have all these great advantages. They have the um, the pathways through, the hyper, through hyperspace. Not quite hyperspace. Or actually, it is hyperspace. But is routes through hyperspace that no one else knows. So they call those the paths. And the Nihil are such an interesting entity in this time. And it's hard to explain. Like, I, I wish I knew where they're going. Like, they, they obviously dwindle out before the prequel trilogy. So we know something happens. There's got to be a great climax to the series. But our introduction to the Nihil is amazing. Yeah, it really is. Like, it's so exciting to see an entity that isn't known. To see one that isn't, you know, well, the Empire's the bad guys. We gotta fight them. In fact, the Jedi have no idea who these guys are. The Republic don't know who they are. And just to sit there and learn about them as, you know, the Republic and as our protagonist, I guess, in this in this book do, is very fun to see, very interesting. And seeing, um how it all plays out, how um, while they're over there, you know, playing, you know, checkers, we have, you know, Marcion Rowe playing three-dimensional chess. That would be Marcion Rowe. Marcion Rowe. Marcion. Playing three-dimensional chess while everyone else is up here <laughs> trying to play some checkers. I know. <laughs> so I want to I talk about Marcion Rowe real quick. Oh, boy. When we're first introduced to Marcion Rowe, he is kind of this like submissive character he's kind of in the the background of the Nihil like you're introduced to him and you have um, Panada you have uh, Lorna D you have Casas uh, Milico they are kind of the 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 heads of the Nihil they are the Tempest Runners and under them 
they have their each individual crews and all of that. But uh, what Martian Row does is provide them the pathways. He gets a certain amount of the the uh, the cut of whatever job they're doing. I think it was like what thirty percent or something like that. He gets a nice clean payment, and his his duties are pretty much done. But Martian Row has a dark side. <laughs> like I mean, he's already on the bad guys team. But I feel like at the beginning of the book, I was kind of rooting for Martian Rowe in the Nihil. Like he seemed like he was he was being beat up on by by the Tempest Runners, especially in that first scene where they're all meeting in the the Great Hall or, or whatever it's called. The is that what it's called? The Great Hall. It's called the Great Hall of the Nihil. That's right. So the Great Hall of the Nihil. They are they're meeting in there, and that's a place in space that nobody can find apparently, and. They get in their little chamber and they're pretty much beating up on Martian Rowe. Like, your dad didn't do it this way. He gave us the pass and that was it. And he didn't give his input and whatever. And Martian Rowe kind of takes it at first. And just seeing his character development, like, he makes a switch yeah. really quick. Yeah. When it, when it gets down to it. Definitely seemed like a very timid character. I'm like, okay, this guy's not going to be any consequence whatsoever. But. Uh, yeah, we find out later that he, <laughs> we were mistaken, <laughs> greatly mistaken. No, we, but we were greatly mistaken. His but one thing I, is something else. But one thing I wanted to point out was like, you know, the Nile, the Nile, the Nihil, they weren't really on the Jedi's radar at all because they they mostly do their, you know, pirating out in the outer rim, and but. They're really structured, though, you know, because, like you said, they had the three Tempests, which were, uh, I don't have the names in front of me. Um, Pan Eda, Lorna D, and Kasav Miliko. Yes. Yeah, there's three Tempests, and then below them, you know, they have, they have the Storms, the Clouds, and the Strikes, and, of course, uh, right, Marshawn right. Rowe is the Eye. Yes. The yeah. Eye of the Nihil. Yeah, and also, we, we should make sure to mention that during this time period... The outer rim was like uncharted. It wasn't something that the Republic had under their control. In fact, uh, a part of the big part of well, what we thought the big part of this book, and it looks like it's going to be a bigger part of uh, this first uh, arc here in the High Republic, is uh, kind of getting the outer rim put together via the uh, what Starlight Beacon. Starlight Beacon. The Starlight Beacons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Starlight Beacon is the first space station to connect the Outer Rim to the rest of the Republic. And I'm not going to lie, I've read on a little bit. I'm, I'm ahead of you guys for the first time ever. <laughs> oh, And I'm, I'm actually reading, uh, what is it, Dark Storm Rising, I think it is. That and the one you're reading, they're, uh, they're, The Rising Storm? The Rising Storm, sorry, yep. The Rising mm -hmm. Storm. So it's like the next adult novel in this um in the High Republic era. And, and it pretty much um, starts where the the Light of the Jedi leaves off. But there's other Starlight Beacons that are going on. Like, that's not the only one. So, the Republic is really trying to reach out to these Outer Rim territories. And I, I think that's a big point to make. Because it seems by the prequel trilogy that they kind of stop trying to reach out. They kind of let the Outer Rim do what the Outer Rim does, right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm really interested to see what happens between where we are now in the High Republic and the prequel trilogy. And I don't know if this is a good time to bring up the reason for this initiative altogether is because of the Chancellor at this time. Um, I, I don't Lena know if So. Yep. 
Yeah, bring it on. Bring it on, Wesley. This is yeah. exactly where I was going. Gotcha, yeah. It's you like know, you guys read my notes. Oh, <laughs> perfect. Yeah, you know, Chancellor Rowe uh, is, and, you know, when I first read so, about her. Cha- what, 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 whoa, 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 Chancellor So. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I, yep. Yeah, Rowe's the bad guy. So yeah, is the good guy. <laughs> that's right. I, I, uh, yeah, I made a typo in my notes here. Chancellor So. Um, she's the Chancellor at this time, and, you know, the only Chancellor we've ever known in Star Wars has been Palpatine, so all, all, already I'm, like, skeptical of her, and I'm like, she's, she's, she's part of the Sith, but, no, I think she's she is. shady. Yeah. <laughs> she is. Oh Unlimited power! But, yeah. <laughs> you cannot forget Chancellor Valorum. He was there for all of half of Phantom Menace. Yeah, you know, Chancellor So, I think her initiative is to create great works for the galaxy and unite the people. And, you know, her expression is, we are the Republic. So that's, and she has two really cool cats that I liked. <laughs> yeah, um, it's very interesting to see uh, where the Republic is right now and what the uh, Chancellor is doing. She's uniting the Galactic Republic. It's, it's bringing it together because before it seems like they were kind of, uh, you know, worrying about their own systems more than, you know, a, as a galactic entity. And it seems like under uh, Lena So, uh, or Chancellor So, that she's bringing it more about, you know, hey, we're, we're a greater republic. We got to work together if we're going to make it through. Yeah, it really seems that by the end of this book that Lena So is really trying to help the entire galaxy. She wants to unite everyone. She wants everyone to be under the same umbrella. She she really wants all the things that the Republic should be to be the Republic. And, you know, we think about this in the context of the prequel trilogy, and it seems like the Republic is kind of, obviously, it's in its waning years. We know what happens in the original trilogy. But it seems like the Republic kind of doesn't care what the Outer Rim does. And they, they, they kind of let their grip loose on these territories and these other places that aren't Coruscant or Naboo or all these other like mid-rim or core territories. And I think it's refreshing to see a chancellor who really cares about the entire galaxy and not just those core worlds. Yeah, it's very refreshing um, to see it and just seeing a number of different things that she does differently. Um, she seems to be have a very good relationship with the Jedi, unlike uh, what Chancellor Palpatine had, and that's what we're used to. And she seems or to even be very. Valorum. Valorum didn't seem to have a great. Yeah, yeah. Valorum didn't seem to either. Um, it seemed like they're kind of you know bureaucrats and listening to the people with the money. And Channel uh, and Chancellor So here doesn't seem to really care. She's like, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to do what's best for the Republic as a whole. And what I'm hoping here is that uh, Lena So is that character who is the light of the galaxy. Like she, she, she isn't just trying to get political gain or trying to get herself nominated for awards, or she's not trying to have all of this clout. But she is really doing this for the good of the galaxy. To to see her kind of like fail would <laughs> would be really really demoralizing. <laughs> Well, we know where it ends up, and it's just like, how long is she going to be here? How long is she going to be the main important player for 
the Republic side of things. You know, this High Republic right, era right. can go for 200 years. So honestly, least, yeah. yeah, she's a humanoid, so she won't live the entire time. So we can see kind of like uh, possibly a progression of, you know, falling from, you know, Chancellor So, which is this seen as this great um, Chancellor and see how that falls and ends up with Valorum and ultimately with Palpatine and how it, it kind of shattered, I guess. Yeah, there's definitely a, a digression here. There's Lena So seems to be like the top of the Chancellor Bar at this point. She is doing all she can to help the galaxy. And the only two other Chancellors we have are Valorum and Palpatine. And I will give Valorum the benefit of the doubt and say he's over Palpatine just because he did not create the Galactic Empire. <laughs> <laughs> and, he did not create the Galactic Empire. Correct. And Palpatine gets the bottom of the rung because he was shady from the get. Um, but it, I really want to see what happens. There's definitely a digression. I want to see where the galaxy goes, how the, the public opinion turns. There is a definite switch from the, the mood of the High Republic to the beginning of the prequels. Like the, the Phantom Menace. It seems like... The entire galaxy is kind of stagnant. Everybody's kind of just doing their own thing. There's there's not a lot of unity. And then the uh, the Separatists come in and kind of take over and try to try to overthrow the Republic and they try to be their own thing. And, of course, that's the Clone Wars and all that. So it's going to be great to see that digression. Where I want to move now is the Santeca clan. The Santeca clan are some shady guys like yeah. their family pretty much routed out all of the hyperspace lanes right they they routed out all of this stuff they're hyperspace prospectors or miners and they're kind of doing their own thing right and and then our heroes elzar man and avar chris go to talk to them and they play dumb like they mm -hmm. play straight dumb they don't know anything. They don't know how these hyperspace lanes can be accessed because for a little bit of background, excuse me, for a little bit of background, um, there's been these emergences where parts of the legacy run, of course, are coming through hyperspace and colliding with different planets and systems and causing a whole lot of havoc. And they're trying to predict where those things are going to be. And the Santeca clan offers like no solution. They're like, yeah. We don't know how this is happening, this, that, and the other. And then we find out a little bit later they know of someone who can route these hyperspace lanes. Oh, my goodness. And then we get into jumping ahead. Like, you get, you guys do realize who that uh, who, who that old lady is, right? Later Wait, on. Of course we did. do. Well, I, I, I read the book, but I don't know who she is, like. She's the can, she's the one that they were talking about, uh, the Canteca member that was like she could literally figure out all of them, and they have like struggled to find new hyperspace routes um, all the time, and that's yes. what the paths are are her hyperspace routes that are okay. able to change direction while in hyperspace. Okay, right. so I thought this you were going to reference something outside the book. Okay, no, 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 you. it's in the book, but that that's yeah. who that lady is that's uh, working for the, or that's being kept alive, not really working for Marcian Rowe, um, and the entire like. I have a big feeling that they know what's going on with this the entire time. And it's just like they're holding out because they don't want to admit that this... They don't want to be know, the bad guys. 
I mean, it, yeah, they don't want to be the bad guys, but it's like, yeah, our grandmother that probably should have died like a hundred years ago because she's old and won't die, um, is probably the cause of all this. <laughs> right. They're definitely holding back inf- they are definitely holding back information. And I, I don't know. The Santeca clan are kind of shady anyway. But just because they know what's going on and do not tell them, like, you know, we had this grandmother that kind of disappeared a long time ago. Obviously, she shouldn't still be alive, but obviously she is. So who knows how long the Santeca people live? I mean. Yeah, but I mean, they, I, from my understanding is that woman is put on life support and is being forced (laughs) to be alive. Okay, she yeah. there. She is like, let me go out in peace, please. And Marcion's like, crack over there, cracking the whip. No, keep going. I need more routes. Yeah, She's, I'm tired. It's, I'm ready to die. No, it's <laughs> here's a meal. It's, it's it is like the saddest situation for any kind of living being. I I can't even imagine. That's that's just horrible. Uh, she's pretty much servicing the pathways for the rest of the Nihil, and the Nihil don't even know where it's coming from. Like. Martian Road does not reveal to the rest of the Nihil mm-hmm. how he's getting this path. Uh, that's father what keeps knew- his, Yeah, like that's how they have their, their spot, and that's how they ensure that uh, the rest of the Nihil don't turn on them. It, it's their point of power. Right. right. And then we see that shift where Martian Road becomes like the boss. He pretty much he pimp slaps Kossiv. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. He ta- he takes out what? He takes out his arm, right? Yeah. He does. Yeah, he takes one of his arms. Yep. In true in true Star Wars fashion, he takes one of his arms and destroys Gip- it. <laughs> gives him a new one, and that one apparently turns against him. Right. And like I talked about earlier, Marshawn Rowe became that guy we were rooting for in the Night Hill to the boss of the Nihil, and it turns out he's a pretty bad guy, so <laughs> pretty good twist in the book, I think. I think we were meant to root for him, and then I, I-, I kind of thought he was going to be like an informant for the Republic, or maybe he was going to defect and help the Republic do something against the Nihil, and it turns out he just takes over the Nihil. Yeah, I don't even know to where really to begin with him, but like, just the end of what at the end what he does you know sitting there torturing the Jedi that he uh, captures can you guys remind me of the yeah. name loading, is it yeah, is loading, loading, it's loading great storm right yeah it's loading great storm um straight up torturing him yeah and he obviously has this dark understanding of the force that we haven't seen uh anywhere else in this book and it gets me really excited for maybe some type of Sith or some type of Dark Force user that's... Because uh, he, he definitely is not a, a Force user, I wouldn't say. But, like, he has a, a very, very deep understanding of the Force, it seems. We learn a lot about the Force in this book, you know? Because, like you said, he he's torturing Loden, has Lo- Loden captive, because Loden has a broken leg. But he... he obstructs his sensitivity to the force by just basically surrounding Loden with a lot of people suffering and 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 torturing other people so therefore Loden his his uh sensitivity to the force is clouded because he can't tap into it by all that suffering yeah I, I really think that uh Martian Rowe 
knows about the Force. Like, he knows what kind of tampers down the the Jedi's ability to sense the Force. Uh, you get a lot of people suffering around. They kind of focus on that. They, they, they want to help people. And Martian knows what he's doing, and I've read ahead. He pretty much takes uh, Loden's lightsaber and uses it as a uh, as a weapon to intimidate others in, in yeah. the next book, the mm-hmm. the Rising Storm. Okay, and yeah, I can see a, that coming. It's a yeah. He he uses he uses it to intimidate those people and other people. Shoot, he was using it to, to intimidate far, um the one of the other Tempest um the girl. I can't think of her name though. Uh, Lorna D. He he does yeah. he does use it in this book to intimidate Lorna D. Um, but he even he uses it even more effectively in the next book, I would say. And people are scared of him because he has this lightsaber, right? And he's like, "Well, who has lightsabers? It's the Jedi. Did, did you kill a Jedi, or or what are you doing?" Uh, it's it's awesome to see a villain that we were rooting for, and then turns out to be the the really big bad guy in the story. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I ever rooted for him. You guys mentioned that you did, but for me, I was kind of like seeing, to me, he always seemed like some sort of mastermind that had an idea, had a plan, and he wanted to figure out how he could effectively do it, and then he, he got the answer that he needed. And... I, ge- he, I guess so. I guess so, yeah. He just, he takes me as a very smart and methodical villain, which, I mean, is, is different than we see in Star Wars. Uh, we see in the sequel trilogy, I'm going to start there, Kylo Ren and the Emperor, which was a, a pool in and of itself that we're not going into, but they weren't, they were like, you know, they were never playing fourth dimensional chess with people. They are more along the lines of unlimited power. And that, mm-hmm. was, that was their thing, you know. Right, yeah. right. But this yeah. villain, he doesn't have the force. He doesn't have, you know, the army that he has. He had to literally threaten his army to work for him. And so he seems to be a very smart villain, and I think it's a nice change of pace for a Star Wars villain. Yeah. Yeah, going back to anime terms, he's kind of like a Madara Uchiha. Madara right? Uchiha. Well, I feel like someone's using him too, so I'd say he's more Obito, but getting yeah, beyond the point yeah yeah beyond the point he he is it seems like he's the mastermind of the night hill at this point at least. for now I, i'm for now I, I have a feeling that he's being used to by someone else i, I just have that feeling you think so i, I really Hot do take. i i feel like he is because he had to learn this knowledge from somewhere i don't think it was his father about the jedi and stuff like that i think someone else taught him that and I think that's ultimately where we're going to see a, an evil or a dark force sensitive person, at least. Not I won't say force user, but someone that's dark force dark force sensitive. And I think that's the real person that's kind of pulling the strings and will ultimately be uh, one of the main antagonists that we see based off against the High Republic here. I, I would agree with that theory, but he does indicate that... You know, someone wanted to know what his plan was. He's like, well, I don't have a plan. I just have goals. And, you know, I'll go about these goals any means possible. And he's very flexible and he's quick on his feet. So he kind of described some attributes about himself in that way where, uh, you know, he's able to take on these situations and do what's necessary to reach his goals. Um, 
So I don't know yeah. that. That's, so with that, I, I think he's the only mastermind in play. But well, I, don't I mean, know. you can also think of it this way, and I, I know the sequel trilogy is not everyone's favorite, or even I, I won't even do that. We'll do the prequel trilogy. Um, what's his face? Count Dooku had plans of his own that he wanted to do and was going around doing it and you know Palpatine kind of let him do it during the war and stuff but ultimately who was the mastermind and who was the one left standing at the end it was Palpatine it, was, it, was Palpatine. it wasn't it wasn't Count Dooku who thought he had this all planned out he was going to train up an apprentice and was going to take down and he was going to win the war and he was going to be the you know supreme leader of all of the all of whatever he was going to make I guess the separatist alliance or it, whatever you want to call it but ultimately, it, it isn't him standing at the end. It's Palpatine. See, that's why I think Marshawn Rowe has a lot of qualities that are similar to Palpatine. That's just my. Mm, I th- I think he's more of a, not not a Palpatine, but more of a Count Dooku type character. Um, I think he's a good mix of both. Really, I mean, you, you see, Marshawn Rowe kind of plays everybody. Count Dooku kind of plays the Jedi because the Jedi think Count Dooku can't be bad. He used to be a Jedi. If he was a Jedi, he could never turn to the dark side. And he did. Uh, Martian Rowe is pretty much like, well, Martian Rowe has always been the eye. He's always been this background character. He can never become our leader, and he does. The same as Palpatine. Palpatine's kind of like in the background. He is the leader of the Republic. He's the Chancellor of the Republic. Kind of like Marcia, uh, excuse me, kind of like Martian Rowe is the leader of the Nihil in the background. Like, he's the eye, he gives the pass. That's what separates them from the other gangsters in the <laughs> Outer Rim. But he kind of asserts himself as the maximum power there at the end, just like Palpatine. I think he's a good mix of Dooku and Palpatine. Mm-hmm. It's it's those character traits coming together that makes him such an effective villain and makes it seem like he's playing that fourth-dimensional chess that Grant's been talking about this whole episode. I... He's a great villain, and I cannot wait to see where it goes. I, I don't, I don't quite, I don't know very much more than you guys know. Even reading the next book a little bit, mm-hmm. I don't know as much as you, uh, too much more than you guys know. But I am excited to see where Martian Road goes. Yep. Do you want? Um, I, I don't really think he's going to survive much longer past probably the third main adult novel. I, I think he okay. dies in either the second one or the third one more so than being an overarching villain. Uh, and that's just because I don't think the Nihil is going to be the ultimate threat that the High Republic is going to deal with for a very long time. I think it's going to be... It, I think it's going to be, you know, maybe a couple years they deal with it, but, like, ultimately it's just going to be, in the grand scale of things, nothing compared to what they're going to be actually dealing with. If I'm going to be honest with you, I think this series is kind of gearing towards the Acolyte. Uh, TV series that Disney Plus is going to do. And I know that's kind of like a lame plug, like, oh my god, you already knew that was coming out, whatever, whatever. It really seems that this High Republic era is going to filter into this Acolyte area that we're going to see coming, I don't know, in the next, what, year and a half, two years? Yeah. yeah. I I wholeheartedly agree with that, and I think, I think we even speculated back on what we expected from the High Republic Era episode, which is our third episode here on the Dork Wars, the podcast, by the way. Go check it out if you haven't heard it yet. Long Um, time ago. A long time ago. Yeah, we talked about it way back then. Uh, The first book hadn't even been released yet, or it just had been released, and I had read like a few chapters of it. Um, Right, right. But we, we talked about it leading up to the Acolyte and, you know, that ultimately being, you know, 
the Return of the Dark Side and possibly a how Palpatine grew to be the Sith Lord that he ended up being. And so, uh, ultimately, I, I, I agree. It, I believe it will lead towards the Acolyte. I think that will take place closer to the very, very tail end of the High Republic, though. Are there any theories to what Marshawn Rose little purple glowing rod was or what that's about? I have no idea, but ultimately I think that's going to be a big thing that's going to be used um, in this High Republic era and how the Sith are going to finally make their return. Quote unquote make their return. I think there's more going on with that than meets the eye based on the stuff they mentioned of the Old Republic in this book. I'm with Grant. I, I don't exactly know what that is or what that's going to be used for, but I do think it's going to be a vehicle for the Sith to return. Like I said, I think all of this filters right into the Acolyte, and that purple rod, whatever it is, is some some kind of evil, dark uh, <laughs> Sith magic. <laughs> I almost yeah. believe it. It almost... It, it, it made me think of like the Night Sisters little green cosmic force thing they have, but... it. At the same time, it seems different from that. So it could be some Sith or dark side magic. (laughs) I I really do think that we will also get more. uh, We briefly mentioned this just now, but more of the Old Republic stuff that they mentioned. And they're going to revamp that and rework that um, sometime towards the end of this High Republic era that they're focusing on. I think they're going to move backwards even further and focus on the Old Republic Sith, giant Sith armies versus, you know, the uh, Jedi armies at that time. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be a bad move. I'd like to see some uh, some material leading up to this High Republic era, how they became the High Republic. Obviously, there was a great Jedi and Sith war back in the past. I, I'd like to know how the new canon is going to handle that. We kind of know how the old canon, Legends, EU, whatever you want to call it, handles that. But I would like to see how the Disney canon handles that and I think that's a good place to, to stop because I didn't even make it to like Elzar Man or Belzedifar, all these other things I wanted to get to. But it, it just goes to show that this High Republic era is so full of new ideas and great lore and backstory and all of this great stuff. So we're, we're definitely going to cover this some more. We might even have an episode on Elzar Man and Belzedifar and all those other great characters mm-hmm. we didn't get to talk about in depth. But uh, this is just Definitely. kind of an overall, yeah, this is just kind of an overall general review of the novel, what we thought of the High Republic era so far, and we're definitely going to keep going. So stay tuned to Dork Wars Podcast. Let's throw it now to our Grand Jedi Master, Yoda, for the word of the week. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. The Nihil, the word of the week is. <laughs> so, Master Yoda, you're talking about the Nihil. We pretty much went in depth about Martian Rowe, Lorna D, Kossiv, uh, and uh, Pan Ada. So, they are all part of the Nihil crazy, like, scary Outer Rim group who's pretty much making a name for themselves got all these paths and all that yes the nihil crazy they were all sorts of different things they did travel through the galaxy they did through paths unrestricted more i cannot say spoil the books i must not (laughs) under contract i am with disney (laughs) oh so you're so you're you can't tell us what happens pretty much master yoda 
No, no. And, uh, I mean, what, what, can, what, what really can they do to you? I mean, you're dead, right? Hmm. One with the force I am. Dead I am not. Alive more now than I ever have been. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I get that. So, I mean, I, I still don't get why a contract uh, kind of uh, dampens your ability to tell us what happens. Yeah, I mean, wh- why are they paying you? Mm, young Grant, this I cannot discuss. Another part of the contract this breaches. So, Master Yoda, are you going to be any help tonight on on the subject of uh, these books at all or the Nihil? Of the Nihil, I can say this. Admirable foe they were, but nothing to the Sith they were. So this is pretty cryptic. Uh, I I really can't wait to see what happens, Master Yoda. Uh, I hate that you can't tell us, but uh, I I really really get your silence. But he could tell Yaddle. Yes, Yaddle I can tell. There she was. Good times. Good times. Uh, before we get to uh, any Dark Wars After Dark kind of content, let's uh, let's get out of here. Uh, this has been a great episode of Dork Wars, the podcast. If you would so choose, go check us out on our Facebook page, our Twitter page, our Instagram page. We also have a store now. If you want some Dork Wars merchandise, we have Dork Wars, the t-shirt, Dork Wars, the phone case, Dork Wars, the mug. We have Dork Wars, the anything you can think of, maybe, kind of, sort of. So go check us out. Go check out our link tree. Just type into Google Dork Wars Podcast, the link tree, or Dork Wars Podcast link tree, whatever you want to do. We're going to pop up. You can find all of our links to all of our stuff there. So thank you, and may the Force be with you. Thank you for supporting Dork Wars, the podcast. You can check us out on facebook.com forward slash Dork Wars, the podcast. And if you would like to join in on the discussion or maybe suggest topics for us to discuss, please do so by joining our Discord community or sending us an email at dorkwarspodcast at gmail.com. This has been a... Avar Chris and Elzar Man, like sexual tension between the two. Odds they are brother and sister. Production. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com.